right, welcome everyone to the Streaming Water Podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things Colorado water and wastewater. I'm your host, Blair Corning. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the difference between large and small utilities. There's, there's a big range in sizes of utilities, you know, in this state especially, but, but all over. And, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And we've got a great guest to do that with us. Uh, Barbara Biggs is the general manager of Roxborough Water and Sanitation District, and uh, she has spent many years at Metro and, and has a good understanding of, of the range of sizes of utilities. So welcome, Barb. Thanks for being on the show this morning. Thanks, Blair. I'm happy to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your background? And, you know, I've kind of given a broad overview, but maybe dig a little deeper into your background and, and, and your career so far. Sure. Thanks. Um, so I have a degree in business, business administration from the University of Colorado at Denver. Um, I started my career after college working in finance. Um, I, was, um, I was with a commercial bank and then several, a couple of different um, investment banks and spent a lot of time doing um, bond issues for water and sanitation districts and also a few school districts. Um, in about 1991, when we were, my husband and I were expecting our first child, um, I decided I didn't want to travel. Even though my clients were all in Colorado, I was traveling several days a week, and I wanted to keep working, but I didn't want to travel anymore. And I had the opportunity to join Metro Wastewater. Uh, my experience with special district finance um, put me in a great position to manage the Metro District's charging programs, TAP fee programs and general governmental relations with the 60 local government connectors. In almost 24 years with Metro, I had the opportunity to really grow professionally, and I really appreciate the opportunities I was given, but I, I kind of picked up my work in water and water quality while I was on the job at Metro. Um, when I left Metro in 2014, I spent three years with the firm as a client service manager with CDM Smith, working with water and wastewater utilities along the front range on various projects. Probably one of the biggest ones I got to manage was I was the program manager for the design phase of the environmental and recreation improvements at Chatfield Reservoir to allow the Chatfield storage reallocation project to go forward. Oh, that's a big one. It was. It was a lot of work. Um, but from my time, I enjoyed my time as a consultant, but I really missed being in the public sector. So when the opportunity to go back to the public sector and take over at Roxborough Water and Sanitation District came along, um, I really appreciated that opportunity and it's been a great, it's been a great move for me. Yeah, I bet those are some, uh, great views out your window there yeah. at Roxborough <laughs> Park. They, they really are. Um, I get to, you know, the raptors that play in the air currents off the hogback and the rocks and the, the deer, all the wildlife. is It's really a fun place to go to work. Nice. It's a wide-ranging perspective. you got the big utility, the little utility, and also uh, consulting thrown in where you get to see all different sizes. So I'm, I'm glad you're on today to talk about this topic. Absolutely. Can you uh, give us a little bit about your, your hobbies or your interests outside of, uh, outside of water, or can you separate them at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of, it is a little hard to separate them sometimes, but uh, yeah, when I'm not working, um, um, I bike. I, we like to hike a lot. Um, I read a lot, but um, I quit skiing about 
13 years ago, so I don't do that anymore. So primarily just hiking, biking, reading, um, Good. and then water stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in the, you're in the right state for all of those, I think. Yep. Yeah. All right. Here's the interesting question. We'll start out with, uh, what fact amazes you every time you think of it or, or you hear of it? You know, the fact that amazes me, and I thought a lot about this question, is that those of us who work in water and wastewater do such an incredibly efficient job that people just take it for granted. It's just amazing to me that people just assume that when they turn on the tap, the water will be there and it'll be safe to drink. And when they, you know, when they use the facilities, that it'll just all get taken care of. And they, they forget their role um, in that process. They forget that, you know, the wastewater treatment plant down, you know, north of Denver isn't a discharger. They're actually cleaning up um, for society. I've, I love to travel. Um, I'm really, it bothers me more than I can say that my passport won't get me anywhere right now, but I've traveled to places where, um, where even in, so a couple years ago I went to South Africa and even though you're in a country, a developed country in a beautiful location with lots of great wildlife, you're drinking bottled water because, um, the, the natural water is too high in salt. It's fine to bathe in it and, but you want to use bottled water for drinking. So I think we, we get pretty complacent in the United States sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, to get on to our topic of, of big and small utilities, what do you think the main differences are, some differences between a large utility such as Metro or Denver Water and, and some of these smaller ones? I know Colorado especially has a lot of special districts, which sometimes are only a few blocks, you know, that, that they handle the, the water and sewer for. So what are, what are some of the big differences that you've seen? I think some of the big differences I've seen is at a large utility, everybody tends to be so specialized. Um, they do what they do. Um, you know, if they're a plant operator, they're also not a maintenance worker and they don't work on anything related to the, the programming. I mean, everybody gets really, really specialized. And the other thing I've noticed at big utilities is you just, if you're going to be big, you just have to have more policies and procedures and, and I don't want it to sound negative, but you just need more bureaucracy to manage a large organization. When you're at a small utility, it's, you almost have to, you have to be very careful not to have too many policies and procedures because you're, you've all got to work together so closely that it becomes much more relaxed, but everybody has to be prepared to do almost everything. Um, you know, when I was at Metro, maybe you'd get together as a whole group once or twice a, a year. Um, at Roxborough, I sit down every Wednesday morning. Um, in fact, before the coronavirus, we would set, sit down and have breakfast together, the entire staff, every Wednesday morning. Now we get on Zoom together every Wednesday morning. But we literally get together for an hour or so every single week. And I think it really helps us come together as a tight-knit team because we've got to be a tight-knit team to make sure everything gets done. Yeah, good. I've noticed the same thing as far as specialization and and the the, the less specialization, the smaller you get. Sometimes I'll teach at a, a water, wastewater school in a rural area and, and the person's a wastewater operator, but then they're also the snowplow driver when it goes, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Well, what is, uh, what's something that's probably along the same lines? What's something a large utility employee 
might find odd that a small utility employee has to do. Well, it's kind of funny. Um, we had an operator who'd been with the district for a long time, and he just decided he needed a change, and that's, you know, that's fine. We all, we all need to make a change every now and then. But he left Roxborough to go to a large water utility. Um, and he was just, he still gets together with some of his friends at the district, and he was just amazed that, you know, if, if he notices in his walkthrough at the water treatment plant that he now works at, that something needs to be repaired, there's a whole maintenance group. He has to write up a work order, and there's a whole maintenance group that comes out and fixes it, and he just kind of stands around and watches and tests it when they're done. When it, while at Roxborough, you know, if something breaks, the guys are the guys you know, the guys that operate it are the guys that are going to end up fixing it. You know, you do have people on call for the, for the big things. So I think in some ways, um, my operations people have to be prepared to do more. Um, you know, if there's something wrong with a the pump, they're going to be in there working on it. But we also have to have partners, you know, on-call partners um, that are available to help with the things that are just beyond our capabilities. So we have an on-call um contractor that responds to line breaks because that's something bigger than what we can fix. Whereas, you know, uh, you know, at a Metro wastewater, you've got a crew that can do small construction projects. So those are some of the differences. Yeah. All right. What about the other way? What about, uh, what, what would a small utility employee be surprised to know that, that someone at a large utility does how specialized they get or, or how uh, drilled down they are into what exactly they're doing? I think they'd be amazed at only doing, I think my, you know, well, as I said, when my guy left to go to a bigger water utility, he was kind of surprised at the limited scope of his duties, you know, compared to what he'd been responsible. You know, he, he just does this. He just does these walkthroughs and watches the, the SCADA and the, and the controls for the water treatment plant during his shift. And, and then he, there's a lot more paperwork to get other people to come out and do the fix, you know, to fix things. So I think a, somebody from a small utility would be amazed at probably how, how laser focused they'd be on one aspect of their job compared to being more of a generalist at a small utility. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I've always, well, I'm kind of at a larger place now, but used to be at a, a medium sized utility, but yeah, it's funny when you look at, either Metro or Denver water and you see they got whole departments doing what's a, what's one piece of, of your job. They got a department of six or 10 people doing that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see that in my job, you know, I mean, I don't have, you know, it used to be, you know, I had a staff at Metro that was almost as big. And I think by the time I left, I had a staff of like eight Roxborough in its entirety has 14 employees. Um, uh, so if we're going to be involved in the water quality forum, or if we're going to be involved in a, in a division work group, it's going to be me because there is really isn't anybody else with the time or the, or the ability really to go out and, and do those things. So I've found that I rely a lot more on the wastewater utility council and the water utility council to kind of cover the things that I don't have time to cover. Yeah. Speaking of, of groups like that, you know, I've known you for years and I know you've been on a bunch of different commissions and <laughs> boards and, and work groups and, and really, you know, volunteered your time to, to make a difference in the, in the water world. So can you, can you talk about some of those experiences and, and what you gained from, from doing that? Sure. Happy to. So I started out, 
I served two terms on the Water and Wastewater Facility Operator Certification Board, which I think you're currently serving on. Yep. And that really was when I started to appreciate the different the different challenges faced by different utilities. I was on the, the Operator Certification Board when we were making the transition from a state-run program to the kind of privatized program that allowed us to charge fees for exams that could keep the program afloat and stay out of trouble with the state budget because um, the state budget, you know, ends up being this, this black box. Um, and after those two terms, then I served three terms on the Colorado Water Conservation Board and learned so much. Um, the, you know, it was just fascinating to, to really dig in and understand the compacts that the state um, has to comply with and learn about all the complicated issues on the Colorado River, for example, um, and and work on you know the state's in-stream and you know in-stream flow program that's one of the oldest and most robust in the country. I don't think people appreciate how how hard Colorado works to um, to protect its its water resources and make sure that we do, make sure that we're doing good planning when it comes to our water resources. Yeah. Um, when I left the CWCB, then I served two terms on the Water Quality Control Commission, and that really gave me the perspective of, you know, having having represented Metro in front of the commission for about 20 years, it really gave, it was, it was really a different experience to be on the other side of, of the table um, making those decisions. And I think one of the things I really appreciated about my time on the commission is actually bringing the perspective of somebody who's actually had a discharge permit that had to be complied with or had to meet safe drinking water regs and, and make sure they're providing safe, you know, safe, great tasting water to their residents. Right, right now, I don't think there's really anybody on the commission that has that real world experience of this is what these regs mean when they're actually implemented. And I think that's an important perspective. Yeah, definitely. So do you have a, uh, I know you're on the, the uh, Metro Basin round table now. I I'm, am. Sure I'm sure there's 10 we've missed, but do you have a favorite or are they all like your children and you can't, uh, <laughs> can't pick one? I have to say, um, I really, really enjoyed the time I served on the CWCB and you know, the Metro Roundtable, Metro Basin Roundtable has been kind of an outgrowth of that. So the first oh, six years, the first six years or so, I was actually the CWCB liaison to the Metro Roundtable. And then when I left the CWCB, I became an active member in the Metro Roundtable. And I've been chair of the Metro Roundtable now for about five years. So that's been, I think that transition of really being able to be, be part of grassroots the grassroots efforts to change how we plan for water supply in the state has really been really rewarding. Um, yeah. Well, on behalf of, uh, I'm just one, one resident, but on behalf of Colorado, thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for all your service on those. I know those take a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of brain work and a lot of reading and a lot of getting up to speed. And so thanks for all you've done with that. <laughs> well, I've appreciated the opportunities too. Yeah. All right. Well, we're at our uh, mid-show segment now, so I wanted to talk a little bit about we're talking big and little in some of these treatment plants, you know, definitely water treatment plants. Usually water and wastewater plants are big, but uh, there's some little technology 
that uh, is going on there. And I wanted to talk about gold nanoparticles. There's this article in the Yale News says, new gold nanoparticle purifies water of difficult pollutants. So I just want to read from this a little bit. Uh, researchers have found a promising technology for clearing water of pollutants, a new nan nanoparticle that converts light to heat. Trace amounts of contaminants such as pesticides, pharmaceuticals, and perfluorooctanoic acid in sources of drink drinking water have posed significant health risks to humans in recent years. So I think this is this is tackling the whole emerging contaminants and, and PFAS and, and those issues, or trying to. Uh, these micropollutants have eluded conventional treatment processes to remove them. And then it goes on to say, uh, researchers in several fields have shown interest in gold nanoparticles for their photothermal and photocatalytic properties, uh, yet the nanoparticles haven't figured heavily in water purification efforts uh, because of the difficulty of dispersing these nanoparticles in water without stabilizing agents, which aren't good for the purification process. But I guess they solved it, so researchers at NEWT, like the... Uh, like the amphibian and new NEWT have uh, designed synthesized Janus and gold nanorods. These nanoparticles, hundreds of times smaller than the width of a human hair, are half coated with silica. This design element is critical. Researchers said since the silica coated half allows each nanorod to remain separate from the others and suspended in water. So that is just one example. I know there's more work with uh, you know, carbon nanotubes and different technologies, but it's amazing at how small we go to build these big plants and, and treat water and, and these emerging kind of issues that are coming up. Give you the one quote, Pedro Alvarez, environmental engineering at Rice University and founder and director of NEWT called the study, a great example of how forefront advances in nanotechnology can pave a new way to solve water challenges. You got a huge water plant and there may be nano... Uh, nanoparticles doing the work there and treating your your water and wastewater in the future. NEWT, I found it stands for Nanotechnology Enabled Water Treatment. And uh, you can look on their website and get more information about what they do. It's a collaboration between Rice University, Yale, and some other uh, some other universities. But you ever had uh, any experience with nanotechnology, Barb? I have not had any experience with nanotechnology, but that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I guess it's not a nanotechnology, but we do use, at our water treatment plant, we use um, the ActiFlow turbo process where you actually um, put proprietary sand into the basin to, because our water, comes, our water, raw water comes straight out of the mountain, so it's really cold and really clear. So you use the sand to, and the polymer and the alum to create the flocks so that you can get, you know, get what, get everything out of the water, you know, get it cleaned up. And it's just fascinating to me how you can use these little tiny, really fine sand that actually helps you clean up or treat the water. Yeah. I've seen that technology you're talking about. I was, uh, I was uh, amazed too that kind of ballasted flocculation where you, yep. you add something and, and particles will cling to it and, and settle out. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get back to the topic at hand here, uh, small versus large utilities, Barb. Uh, how does your management approach differ between large and small utilities? Is there a different way you, you treat things, or is it you keep the same throughout? 
Um, I think I think my management style has has stayed the same. I think what's really changed for me is, you know, all of a sudden you take a job as a general manager at a small utility, and you have that aha moment where, oh, geez, the buck stops here. I can't go up the chain of command. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of it. So I find that. Um, I rely heavily on my staff to give me their input, and I've and I've always liked that. that's always been my approach. I really want my team to to interact, to 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 challenge me, to disagree with me. When you know, I'm not somebody who just wants people to sit around and nod and say yes, but it really is kind of an interesting wake up call when you realize you're it that that the buck stops with you, and if something goes wrong. It's, you know, you're going to take responsibility for it. Um, but other than that, yeah, so not having that backstop is sometimes kind of nerve-wracking. Yeah. But I find that I rely on my partners. You know, we have an outside general counsel. We have an outside engineering firm that's been with the district for a long time. And their historic perspective and guidance is really, really helpful. And I have a, a really great director of operations who's somebody that I can't imagine working without. Good. Good. Do you see more, uh, you know, we talk about siloing and, and sometimes it happens in large organizations where you, you know, this group won't work with this group. Is it, yeah. is it worse with small when you only have 14 people? If, if, you know, two, two people get mad at each other, does that, uh, is it worse with small or worse with big utilities? Um, or is I think, it bad no matter where it's at? I think it's bad no matter where it's at, but it's really critical in a small utility. I mean, I think when you've got four people that operate a water treatment plant um, that are, you know, that work so closely together, if they don't click, it's really, really tough. So it's, so we've really, over the three years I've been at Roxborough, um, it's challenging. We're not, we're fairly remote from the rest of the metro area. Um, we're small. Um, we pay right in, you know, our pay range is consistent with what you'll see from, you know, the materials that the operator certification board has, but it's challenging to find people that want to work that far out. And it's also, if they don't click with the rest of their team members, it doesn't work out. And it's really too bad when it doesn't work out, but you've got to have, and at Metro, you could shift them around and they could go, you know, go to a different shift or go to a different, you know, they go from one part of the operations group to a different, but we don't have that flexibility. Everybody has to, everybody has to get along. So those personalities become even more critical. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like your morning breakfasts are even more important than in that environment to get people together and, and working together. They absolutely are. But we're also really lucky. We've got, I mean, we've got people that have been with the, with Roxborough for 25 years, the director of operations has been with us for 18 years, and he kind of he started at 19, so he grew up in the organization. Oh. So that that's really great. So what I'm trying really hard to do these days is bring in that next generation of people that'll be here um, for 10, 15, 20 years. Are you when you're doing that? Are you looking for a different set of skills than than what they were looking for 20 years ago or or has the skill set you're looking for stayed the same 
No, I mean, we, you know, we have a brand new, you know, our water treatment plant came online in 2017. So we went from, before that, we were operating a water treatment plant that was actually the city of Aurora's first water treatment plant. And it was built in like 1957. Um, and Aurora sold it to Roxborough in uh 1972 when as far as Aurora was concerned it had it had met the end of its useful life and Roxborough managed to keep operating it until 2017 wow. um but the transition from that older plant without a lot of process control technology you know valves that had to be turned by hand and that kind of stuff to this new state of the art treatment plant that um, people can actually check in and turn off and turn on remotely from their iPads or their phones. It's been, it's been really an interesting transition for the guys. So we are looking for a different skill set in the sense that um, more technologically savvy, but it's really almost more the work ethic and the ability to work together. So we've actually, we're, we're hiring a new operator or in the process of trying to hire a new operator right now. And one of the things we've instituted is a half day of, of shadowing the existing operators. So they, they actually go and they take a half day, we pay them because they got to take a half day off from their current jobs. Um, and they come out and they work with the, the other three operators for half a day so that everybody can get a feel for a, what the work is on from the applicant side and be from, from my staff side or my team side. How are they, you know, how do they feel working with this person? Is this going to be somebody they can picture themselves um, working with, for years to come. Yeah, that's good. I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. I'm always surprised that, you know, an hour long interview, you can't uh, explain the profession and you can't get a sense of the candidate. No. It's, it's kind of a crapshoot. So that way you get a, yeah, even a half day can tell you so much. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. I've never heard of a wastewater plant being sold like that. That would be a very <laughs> niche, niche real estate, uh, uh, area they're selling wastewater plants. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, but think about it. Aurora's first water treatment plant was clear out in Roxborough, right next door to. It's gone now. Now it's road based because um, <laughs> we we um, when we when we decommissioned it, we demolished it and actually recycled everything that was in it. Um, oh. We recycled the metal. We crushed the concrete into road base. But think about how far you are from Aurora. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. All right. Well, I noticed uh, I read an article of yours you wrote for the National Association of Clean Water Agencies, their, their magazine called The Clean Water Advocate. And in it, you kind of talked about some of these topics and a lot about how you were dealing with the, the pandemic, response to the pandemic and keeping operations going. But in there, you mentioned that uh, uh, what you called 3 a.m. moments or, or you might get a call at 3 a.m. about something that struck me in that article. Can you tell me what some of these 3 a.m. moments might be related to or, or what potentially would be on the other end of that call at 3 a.m.? Well, um, I think during the pandemic, my 3 a.m. moments have been about, oh, my gosh, what if somebody gets sick? Because when you're a small group of 14 people, if one person gets sick, it's going to fly through, especially with this virus, it's going to fly through. And how are we going to keep operating? And I've spent a lot of time coordinating with friends at other nearby utilities. We work very closely with the Dominion Water and Sanitation District and the Centennial Water and Sanitation District. And an old friend of mine from Metro is now the general manager at Castle Pines Metro District. So we 
you know, it's important to maintain those relationships so that you know that you've got somebody you can call in an emergency. So far, my worst 3 a.m. moment, it was actually a 5 a.m. moment, um, we had a probationary operator fall asleep <laughs> on the job oh. and overflow our clear well. And she let us know by sending me an email at five o'clock in the morning, letting me know she was quitting. <laughs> and she couldn't handle the responsibility. So I'm scrambling around trying to get a hold of the guys to get them out there. We go, we've got to go out and document that no, you know, it was, it was drinking water. So it wasn't as bad as a wastewater spill, but still, you still got to document that it had chlorine in it. So you have to go out and document that none of that chlorinated water made it to you know, a surface water where it could impact aquatic life. Um, so those are those are some of the things. But I do worry about I worry about my guys, or the team getting anybody on the team getting sick. You know, we're pretty close. So I would a it would be personally I would hate it, and and operationally it would be really a big challenge. Um, worry about making sure they've got the resources. So far we're doing okay financially, but we've stopped all all late fees and shut off. So, you know, having to keep a really close eye on what the financial impacts of the, of the pandemic have been. So those are some of the things I worry about at three o'clock in the morning. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I like how, uh, I like how that operator combined it all into one, uh, one deal. <laughs> was, I'm, I'm leaving. Don't like the job. And you might want to come check out the clear well. <laughs> Yeah. There's water flowing. <laughs> <laughs> <All> uh, <laughs> okay, well, I think we're uh, we're about at quiz time. Are you ready for our, our big quiz, Barb? Oh, absolutely. Okay, we got a three-question quiz. Uh, this one is focused on big versus small. Okay. With our theme. So, number one, uh, these Marvel superheroes can shrink themselves to tiny sizes using the power of the PIM particle. Ant-Man. Oh, oh, I don't even need to do the multiple choice. <laughs> Is it Mantis and Moth, the flies, Ant-Man and Wasp, or Bumblebee and Hornet? Ant-Man and Wasp. All right. You are correct. <laughs> Number two. Uh, this is a rare neurological condition in which the person experiences an alteration of visual, visual perception in how the sizes of body parts or external objects are perceived. Is it called, and this is a real, real condition here, is it the Alice in Wonderland syndrome? Is it B, the Gulliver's Travels Disorder? C, Tom Thumb Condition? Or D, Downsized Disorder? I can repeat those if you need. I'm going to guess D, but I'm completely in the – can we go back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're good. You're good at the MCU. <laughs> you are actually incorrect on that. It's the Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Oh. Yeah. Uh, all right, number three. You can still get two out of three here. Uh, a fountain drink at McDonald's in 1955 was seven ounces. What giant drink did KFC offer in 2011 – with the promise of donating $1 from each sale to diabetes research. Was it A, the Team Gulp, B, the Mega Jug, C, the Beast, or D, the Humongous? I think it was the Mega Jug. 
You are correct. The Mega Jug oh, is correct. Although those are all drinks. The Team Gulp is 128 <laughs> ounces. Oh, my God. One gallon of, of uh, soda there. The B, Those are all real. The Humongous is 100 ounces. And the Mega Jug. The Mega Jug was so big, it had to have, like, a paint can handle so you could carry it. You couldn't, uh, you know, it wasn't stable without the handle there. <laughs> Did they sell that when they were selling? Didn't they have a sandwich for a while that was two deep fried breaded chicken breasts with something in between? Yeah, I think it had chicken. <laughs> I think it had chicken in between two breaded chickens. Oh, they're, they're geniuses over there. <laughs> and and a dollar to diabetes research. That's pretty good. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, you got two out of three. That is pretty solid, Barb. Thanks for... Uh, Thanks for playing and thanks for being on the show. I appreciate your insights and uh, I'm glad you were able to talk to us today about some of the differences between big and, and small utilities. Well, this has been fun. I've enjoyed it. All right. Well, to our listeners, uh, thanks for listening to the Streaming Water Podcast. If you have any uh, suggestions or topics you would like us to explore here, you can email me at streamingwater at mail.com. If you like the episode, we ask that you tell a friend. That's our our only our main way of advertising is word of mouth. So so tell a friend or a colleague about the streaming water and give us a a rating on on Apple Podcast or whatever podcast player you're listening on. So thanks for listening. Thanks again, Barb, and we'll see you next time on Streaming Water Podcast. Thanks, Blair.